Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. Welcome to another episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm uh, the host of this show. I'm, my name is Pastor Brad Gray. I'm the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church in Paxinos, Pennsylvania. Uh, and in this, in today's episode, this is uh, another edition of uh, Pastor Brad's Corner, uh, Volume 6. Uh, this is a weekly sort of space and time that I've tried to carve out and devote to sort of pause and, uh, and reflect on some of the things that I've been learning, some of the things that I've uh, been kind of chewing on and reflecting on. Uh, especially as it regards to the the sermons that I've been able to and privileged to uh, deliver uh, from this past Sunday. So I I really have enjoyed these uh, times together, times to sort of delve into more application and resources that you you might be able to avail yourself of that uh, go along with things that I've been uh, learning, but also go along with some of the uh, sermons and lessons that I've been able to preach as well. I've just, I've really found these times encouraging. They've enriched my uh, my own um, uh, my own discipleship, my own devotion. So I hope that they do uh, yours as well. I hope they have the same sort of enriching effect uh, on you as well. Um, this past Sunday was another Sunday in which I was able to uh, deliver two sermons again, as things at uh, Stonington Baptist Church have been returning to normal, uh, so to speak, as uh, this uh, blasted virus has been <laughs> uh, causing untold and undue amounts of uh, just weirdness and and uh, interruption. And uh, but it is kind of hope I'm praying that it's uh, continuing to subside, and uh, we at Stonington Baptist Church are returning to normal, which I. I I know all of my church folk are very thankful for. Uh, and uh, this past Sunday morning, I was able to continue in my series going through the Gospel of Mark. So I began the Gospel of Mark last year. It was the very first sermon series that I was very confident in uh, engaging in. Uh, I w- had been wanting to study Mark's Gospel for a while, and this uh, allowed me to do that. I was able to. I've been able to go through it. This is. 
Uh, we are now actually, in fact, entering into the last uh, scenes, last hours of Jesus' life, in fact. We found ourselves uh, this past Sunday uh, in chapter 14, halfway through the chapter 14, starting at verse 27. And I preached a, <laughs> I preached a longer message. I, I uh, am not usually a long-winded preacher. Uh, <laughs> I get that from my dad, though. I can blame it on my dad and my granddad, both of whom were Baptist pastors. I can blame them for my long-windedness at times. But uh, this past Sunday, I really wanted to spend a lot of time sort of devoting to this uh, passage because uh, chapter 14 from verse 27 down through verse 72 through the end of the chapter, it's a very long scene uh, which covers a lot of events, which is typical of, of Mark's gospel in that it records a lot of stuff that happens and it m- jumps and moves from scenes rather quickly. But I wanted, it, it was intentional, it wasn't intentional to preach that long. Uh, I preached for almost an hour. Um, but it was intentional to cover all of those verses because I I wanted to play and sort of, I wanted to keep in your mind's eye uh, this uh, dichotomy that happens between what Peter vows, uh, the Apostle Peter vows at the beginning of this section with what actually happens, the tragic end and result of what happens at the end of the scene, which is uh, where we have that ominous uh, fulfillment coming into play where Peter denies his Lord three times before the rooster crows as Jesus gives him that foreboding warning there. And so we have just, we have that, that ominous, tragic sort of poetry happening for us where Peter denies at the beginning uh, that he would ever ever deny his Lord. He denies that he would ever deny Jesus. Uh, this comes on the heels of Jesus' remarks that his apostles will be scandalized by the events that are going to happen through the course of this night. Uh, he says in verse 27, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. That word stumble there is literally scandalized. They're going to be offended by the things that they see, by the words that they hear, by the the tragic events that come into Jesus' life. And uh, he, uh, Peter, of course, denies this, and he denies that he would ever be made to stumble at his Lord. And then that's when Jesus presses further uh, into this moment by asserting the fact that, Peter, not only will you stumble, you are actually going to outright deny me. You're going to outright disown me as your Lord and Master and Teacher. Such is what brings Peter to say, as it says in verse 31, he spoke all the more vehemently, if I have to deny, uh, if I have to die with you, excuse me, Peter says, I will not deny you. He even says that, even if I have to die with you, I will never do that. Um, and then, of course, we have all the way, coming through all these events where Jesus is betrayed in the garden, and then he is led off to the council of the Sanhedrin, and he's at that council, and they, they find him, in the Sanhedrin's eyes, guilty of blasphemy, of course, which is unfounded. Um And then we have that ominous, tragic, sad scene where we come back to Peter as he is sitting and uh, he is kind of secretly watching the scene in the court. And then he denies his Lord. For the third time, as it says in verse 71, then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. There he is, fulfilling 
that tragic uh, prophecy which Jesus had just a few short hours ago relayed to him that Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. You're going to disown me. You're going to reject me. And we get that sad verse in verse 72. And a second time the rooster crowed, it says, And then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. To me, it was important to keep both of those scenes in the same uh, sermon. Uh, Because we have at play here this this incredible uh, vow of Peter that he is never going to deny Jesus. And then what ends up happening is that he denies Jesus, three times in fact. And I think all of this boils down to exactly what Jesus has been everywhere preaching about, teaching about, what he has everywhere been aiming to eradicate, which is namely uh, mankind's uh, flimsy and flat, uh, fragile notion of self-assurance and self-confidence. Um, one of the things that you is I, I have found predominantly throughout this Gospel of Mark is that one of the prevailing uh, messages that, that, that comes across in Jesus' sermons is the fact that mankind has no ability to stand on his own ability. He has no ability to stand on his own ability. No, uh, no amount of strength to stand on his own two feet when it comes up against the law of God and, and the kingdom of God and all of these, uh, things that come down with aligning yourself with the kingdom of God. All of that, if you're relying on yourself, you will end up weeping. Um. This is the, I think, the predominant notion of Jesus' ministry that throughout the course of which he is trying to remove and eradicate any semblance of self-reliance, um, especially when it came to the matters of religion and righteousness. Uh, this is sort of the underlying notion of all the discourses with the Pharisees, of course, and even with his own apostles, even as they were arguing about who was the greatest, Jesus was, <laughs> I'm sure, no doubt, uh, just frustrated with the fact that they weren't getting it. It's not about their greatness. It's not about their ability. It's not about their self-assurance and how strong and how devoted they can be. He, he, Jesus everywhere wanted his hearers, wanted his followers, yes, that includes you and me today, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that any ground that you stand upon that is apart, that is separate from his assurance and his promise and his accomplishments is shaky at best. Um, this is what he has everywhere been encouraging and instilling uh, in the hearts and minds of those who would listen. And yet, even still, this is the incredible hope and the incredible good news of this passage. Um, even in Peter's life, to me, you see this tragedy of Peter's life in the fact that he denies his Lord, and yet at the same time, through the course of this tragedy of Peter's life, you also see the triumph of Jesus' life. You see the triumph of the good news of the gospel, namely the fact that even though Peter denied and, and forsook his Lord, just as the rest of the apostles did, um, and they scattered from his presence in the scandalous prelude to this cross, Even when they all denied him, Jesus never denied them. Jesus stood in that courtroom. Jesus stood in that courtyard as he withstood all of this unlawful attack, all of this uh, unlawful and illegal prosecution that was laid against him, all the unfair judgment that was thrown at him. He stood there and took all of that, 
on behalf of his very apostles who denied him, who rejected him. He stood there for us. You see, this is what I see in this passage. I see a Lord, a Savior, who stands in the place of those who deny him. He stands in this courtyard here in Matthew or in Mark chapter 14, enduring being beaten and struck in the face for being who he said he was, which was the Christ. And he's there standing for those who denied him, as it says in verse 51, or excuse me, verse 50. They all forsook him and fled. All of Jesus' closest followers forsook him in the hour of his greatest trial. And yet, what do we find in Jesus? He never once denied his followers. He never once rejected them. He stood there. Stood there even while they were rejecting him. So, uh, too, he will never deny and reject us. This is the uncanny, incredible grace that we find in this passage. That he will never cast us off. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He stands to take our denial so that he can win our deliverance. This is what Jesus does on behalf of sinners. This is what Jesus does on behalf of followers who keep fumbling after their own uh, struggles to be uh, faithful enough. What do we find here? We have a we find a savior who is faithful for those who are unfaithful, for those who reject him, for those who deny him. We that's where we get to that incredible promise in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13 that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. We see that being played out for us even here that he withstands all of this Rejection. He withstands all of this incredible turmoil and trial, all this betrayal, all this outrage. He endures all the scandal for us, the scandalous sinners. He stood there for you and me. Uh, that's really what I was hoping to convey through my sermon on Sunday morning, and I, I hope it came across because in this scandal, we find, yes, the scandal of Jesus himself being willing to surrender himself and to uh, to take on all of this outrage of being cried and criminalized for being who he says that he is, which is the Christ, the Messiah. Uh, I love the tragedy of this scene because it points us, again, to this very triumph, the triumph of Jesus and his grace, where he is denied and yet he delivers those those by whom he was rejected. Um, what a wonderful scene. What a wonderful uh, remembrance that we can uh, glean out of this uh, incredible passage that Jesus will never cast us off, even when we're casting him off. Uh, this is the promise of the gospel. It's the good news of the gospel. And I am so incredibly uh, thankful for uh, this piece of good news. Uh, Sunday evening, uh, to transition now to the second sermon I was able to deliver on this past Sunday, sort of just reminiscing on it, I preached a sermon from Job chapter 38, verses 1 through 18. Job, uh, of course, is a uh, incredible book of the of, of the Bible, which covers and deals predominantly with the notions and the topics of suffering in the life of those who have aligned themselves and said that they uh, believe in God uh, on high. And we find this story of Job, a story that you're probably no doubt familiar with, uh, of Job the sufferer who suffers for apparently no reason. Um, and I was led to 
Oh, I was led to preach this sermon because uh, this past week was, or this past week and a half or so, um, I've just haven't been able to escape uh, thinking about uh, a time in my life that um, has remained one of the most formative times of my entire life. Uh, this sermon was probably the most personal sermon I've ever preached, and uh, because it was my aim to sort of use um, use this chapter, specifically Job 38, uh, to kind of examine the question of why when it comes to suffering. Um, and I am uniquely tied to that question because of my mom's uh, significant uh, trials all the way back two years ago in 2018. Um, if you don't know, I will put some links in the notes to this podcast. Um, my mom, uh, two years ago, suffered a, an incredible, se- incredibly severe mental health collapse in which she ended up struggling with a uh, very acute um, season of depression. Um, and this is two years uh, now. We are now two years out from that moment. Uh, a moment of incredible turmoil and trial for uh, her, my mom, and my whole family. And yet, even now, as I think about it, I am, I, I, I am brought to my knees when I think about the fact that two years ago, my, my mom had lost her sense of reality, uh, and that she was, ended up, ended up struggling with, uh, with this depression for a good while. And yet now, God in His grace has allowed her to, to prevail over that season of depression, uh, and that she has been brought through it by God Himself. And I, I cannot relate to you how, uh, how many ways that I have been changed, uh, by that season of life. I cannot really relate to you all of the ways that I have been <laughs> changed by it, that I have been moved by it, that I have been fundamentally altered. Uh, and and in, in that way, I can say that there has been good that has been brought out of this uh, really sad season of life, a season that I don't really want to go back to. It's good to think about, I think, because of all the things that God has brought out of it. But even still, uh, that time of suffering remains a question mark for me. Um like Job, if you read Job and you expect to get an answer as to why suffering comes into the lives of those whom uh, whom Jesus loves, uh, you won't really get an answer there. And similarly, I still have zero clue as to why God would allow this season in my mom's life, this season of turmoil to come into my family's life. It still doesn't make sense. Um Again, I know the good that has inspired. I know uh, firsthand um, the, the good things that have developed out of that season of life, that season of suffering. I know also some of the bad that has sprung from that season too. Um, but I, I, I still am left wondering why God allowed it to happen. It, it doesn't make sense. It, it didn't then. It still doesn't now. God's ability, though, to bring good out of bad is chiefly seen out of seasons like this, seasons that don't make sense. And I think through it all, I think that's what I've most become intimately aware of, is is just this deeper appreciation for God's sovereign control over everything that happens in this life. Um, 
There is, I, I believe this beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there is nothing, absolutely nothing that is outside of God's sovereign grip of the universe. Uh, not even suffering. Not even the tragedy and the turmoil and the, and the frenzy that we see all around us even now. It is not outside of God's sovereign grip over the cosmos. He is in control of everything. And I was, kind of brought to my knees to that fact through this this season of life in my mom's life uh, a, a season which didn't make sense uh, and s- sort of still doesn't uh, and yet uh, I'm reminded of these words um, of God to the sufferer Job who in chapters 38 through 41 kind of goes on this diatribe of rhetorical questions uh, where God is asking Job, where were you? <laughs> where were you when I created the cosmos, when I when I set out the spans of the oceans and the lengths and the depths of the universe? Where were you when all that happened? Uh, all of which to say is that I am absolutely sovereign over everything. Uh, I was sovereign over every single uh, way in which the creation was formed. And even now, I'm sovereign over your suffering, Job. And that message speaks to me so dearly that, yeah, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. There's going to be a lot of perhaps turmoil and trouble that comes into my life. But all of which is still in the hands of a sovereign God. And a God who uh, controls all of the suffering, who uh, who is sovereign over all of the suffering, even when it doesn't look like it. Um, that's what I've clung to. It reminds me of something that uh, one of my dear friends, my dear brothers in ministry, Dr. Abi Todd, once said in a sermon, which is the fact that Jesus Christ is both the Lord over and the deliverer from the storm in which we find ourselves. He is the one who brings us through it and the one who uh, sometimes uh, is sovereign, or not sometimes, is all the time sovereign in it. And he's the Lord over it all. And it reminds me of, of, of a quote that I found from Alexander McLaren, that acclaimed expositor of the word, who once said in one of his sermons that the companion in the storm is the calmer of the storm. Any amount of terror that comes into your life, any amount of trouble or or suffering, you have a companion that seeks to calm you, not with any sense of escape, perhaps, rather with his presence. His presence in suffering, his companionship in suffering, is what the gospel engenders to us and which uh, comforts us. And to me, I found no greater comfort than that. Um, there's been no surer or more real comfort, if I can say that, in, in those times of suffering um, than the fact that I have this companion, this good shepherd, this calmer of the storm, who is also the Lord over it, who is the one who has allowed it to come into my life, who is the one who is controlling every ounce of of goodness and badness in my own life. Um this is what we preach in the gospel. This is the comforting, the, the comforting words of the good news of, of God's words to us is that even now, even in suffering, you have a God and a Savior who is sustaining you. Uh, it reminds me of something that Paul Tripp writes in his book, Suffering, where he writes, He, meaning Jesus, is the one who not only comforts you, but produces beautiful things in and through you out of what you didn't invite into your life and don't really want in in your life, and out of what doesn't seem good at all. 
I think that's so true. There, there's things that we, that I would have never invited this season of depression and intense and acute suffering in my mom's life. I never would have invited that in my own life. I never would have invited that in her life. I, it wasn't a, it wasn't a beautiful moment to enjoy. And yet, even still, God, uh, allowed it to happen. He brought beautiful things, um, out of it. Uh, and that kind of leads me to uh, another article that I want to share that goes right along with all of this. Uh, it's an article written by Donovan Riley for 1517 entitled, Jesus Drowns Out the Storm Waves. Um, I, I love the writing of Donovan Riley over on 1517. Uh, be sure to check him out. I'll put the link to this in the notes to this, to the show. Uh, but he gives an incredible dosage of good news. The good news that we have even in the midst of, of life's stormy seasons. Uh, and he writes this, the floods of life seek to destroy us every day, but Jesus calms the waves and silences the storm. And with him we find safety because there are no storm waves so fierce that Christ cannot calm them. God's word drowns out the storm waves and rescues us from destruction. What incredibly good words those are. There's no amount, there's no wave that is too big for Jesus. There's no storm that is so fierce that God cannot calm. He speaks his words of peace and deliverance to us. Uh, words of the peace of his presence. And this is the, the sometimes frustrating thing about suffering is that oftentimes we are not made to escape it. We are not made to avoid it. In fact, oftentimes Jesus brings it into our lives to perhaps allow us to see our incredible need of him. But even still, there is, uh, there is safety with Jesus because he is the companion, uh, in our suffering. He is the, the deliverer from our suffering. The calmer of these storm waves is the one who has allowed them into our lives in the first place. He's the one who rules over and rescues us out of every storm by the power of his grace. Um, this is Jesus, uh, the calmer of the storm waves, the one who drowns them out by taking on the suffering and death himself. Paul Tripp goes on to say in his book, Suffering, he echoes uh, sort of those words, um, from Donovan over on 1517, but Paul Tripp says it similarly, there is no valley of suffering so deep that God's grace in Jesus isn't deeper. What incredibly good news that is. Uh, there is no amount of suffering that you can imagine uh, with which Jesus cannot uh, sympathize, and for which I, I would go on to say that Jesus hasn't died for. He's taken on all of the unfathomable depths of our suffering onto himself as he died for us on the cross, as he uh, endured for us all the torrential storms of God's wrath for us. He uh, endured all of that for us. And so throughout all of our seasons of sufferings, our times of grief, our, our moments of sadness and loss and despair and, yes, even depression. There's an unfathomable well, a bottomless pit of grace to be experienced, to be had in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of suffering. As, as this is what he was silently enduring. And reminding us, yes, we could go back to Mark, silently enduring as he silently endured the brunt of all of that rejection. What was happening? He was bearing all of the weight of the suffering of sin on himself so that he could remind us 
that he is never going to leave us alone in those storms of life. And in fact, even better, he's going to be with us in the storms of life. He's our companion in all of the stormy seasons of our lives, the stormy seasons of suffering and grief and loss and struggle. Um, to me, this is the uncanny gospel that we have. It's the gospel that I find myself going back to. It's the gospel that I find myself so incredibly passionate about. Uh, it's the gospel that I cannot get through and get by on my own. And thankfully, I don't have to. Because with Jesus, he goes with us. He goes with us into those valleys of shadow and death. Those stormy waves. He climbs and he overcomes them all. I'm thankful for that. I hope that you've found encouragement in that. I hope that you will find encouragement in the sermons and some of the resources that I will link in the notes to the show. I want to thank you for listening. Uh, I want to thank you for uh, encouraging me as I have continued to minister to you through this podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to the Ministry Minded Podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Uh, I appreciate all of your prayers and your encouragement and your support. And just thank you for listening and for commenting and subscribing. I'll see you on the next episode. Uh, I hope you have a blessed week. Amen.